thanks for asking me. It's my pleasure. Susan, of course, right now you're known as one of the voices of the Yankees teaming up in the radio booth with the great John Sterling. But prior to joining the Yankees, you did, you did everything from updates to overnights on WFAN in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And it was, in fact, the first voice ever heard on WFAN. Can you talk a little bit about that in those early days? Well, it was kind of interesting, and I don't know if you and your listeners know, but I had a whole other career before that. I was on Broadway and was, um, you know, a, an actress and a singer for years, and I was getting a little older, and I had to, I figured I'd better find something else to do because the Broadway that I came to New York to do was gone, and it was never coming back. And so I figured, well, you know, the only other thing I know is, is sports. I grew up around sports, and some of my best friends were, players and broadcasters and um, the voice of the Boston Red Sox, the late Ken Coleman actually was one of my best friends and in about 85 or 86 he said, you know, I know this guy and he's he's uh, uh, he's putting together this thing called FAN, WFAN is going to be an all-sports station uh, in New York, the first all-sports station in the country and I told him he's got to meet you because they are going to need to have a woman or two um, so I, I went and I he said put together a sports cast on a tape and I said, oh sure, yeah <laughs> and I made a little phone sportscast and got hired um and I was indeed the first voice on, on the air. I was hired to do updates. And in those days, um, when we just started, updates were a full five minutes long, and there were four of them an hour. And don't forget, this is, there's no computers, there's no nothing. And you're ripping and reading stuff off of um, off of wires, like in the old days, you know, like when Ronald Reagan was doing uh, baseball in the 30s, he'd rip and read and do baseball on the radio off of a wire service. And it was very, very different back then. But I'll, t I'll tell you, Brett, the thing that I noticed immediately was that I was not accepted and people didn't want me there. And I had no idea that women were not supposed to know sports. I always knew sports. I had no idea that because you were female, you're an idiot. And so it actually became something else for me that, I mean, I knew I knew and I knew that I can, could, could contribute to the station. Uh, updates was not my thing. Um, so I asked the program director, the late John Pruder, um, you know what? You've got all these newspaper guys doing reports for you. They're never going to tell you anything. Let me take a tape recorder and I'll go around and, you know, let me drive everywhere and talk to people. And, and I actually became the first beat reporter electronically of any kind, any place. And so the, the, uh, we found out really quickly that I could break a story middle of the night and the papers could not. And that was um, a, you know, a very good, good start for me. But it's, it was very tough. And now I guess I've been here long enough that, you know, sort of part of the furniture. But those days, those days back at WFAN were very tough for me. I've heard you say on more than one occasion, Susan, how important it was that early in your career that you made yourself indispensable, willing to do just about anything that the station needed. Talk a little bit about it. I know you covered the Yankees. You covered the, the Knicks. You did a lot of different things at FAN. Well, here, here's what I mean by that was that, you know how I got the Yankees, you know, and I did some, I did some Mets games too also, but I went to the Yankees early on because the Mets had just won the World Series and all the guys wanted to go to Shea. So I said, I'll go to Yankee Stadium. 
You know, so they sent the girl. Um, I covered all three hockey teams. I would drive everywhere. And I was a big hockey fan. I knew hockey really well. And um, so when, and I did the Devils. Nobody wanted to drive to New Jersey. I said, I'll go. I don't care. So when the Devils got into the playoffs for the first time, I forget the year, but Brandon, Brandon Shanahan was a rookie. So you know how long ago that was. Um, I was the only one that knew the team. So they had to send me when they got me when they got in the playoffs. I believe they played the Bruins. Actually, that that round got knocked out by the Bruins. Um, the Knicks. I got the Knicks because nobody had ever heard of this guy Patino. Well, I knew Patino from Boston University when he used to have the kids running up and down the court with bricks in their hands because he said they were out of shape. So nobody wanted to go to Westchester. Well, I live in Westchester. I'll go. So that's what I did. I did stuff that. The guys didn't want to do because they either didn't want to drive to Westchester or drive to, to New Jersey to see the Devils and, or go to Yankee Stadium because they were all Mets fans and the Mets were the big thing in, in town. So that's what you do. That's how you make yourself into something. I, the only one that was left to pick up that when things happened with, for example, the Devils and the Knicks and the Mets, I was the one that was there. So they had to keep me there. Of course, you more than paid your dues, and you are certainly a pioneer when it comes to to broadcasting. And and, and of course, that's a, such a such a big feather in your cap. And you joined the Yankees broadcasting team in the mid '90s, first on television, and then for the last 15 plus years in the radio booth. But it sounds like Susan, when you do a game, that you love it as much today as you did back in those early days. Is that true? I mean, it's it, you, the, the the energy that you bring to a, a broadcast is really amazing. Well, you know, that, that also, and yes, I do. I mean, I'm, the bottom line is it is that I, I love this a lot. And before that, my first game, Brett, actually was a weekend um, in Houston. I replaced Bob Murphy. 1992, I did a weekend with Gary Cohen in, um, in Houston. So my first radio broadcasts were actually Mets in Houston. 1993. And um, I'll tell you a great story about that because you'll you love that. Uh, uh, when uh, it was Al Harrison who called the station, Bob Murphy didn't want to go to Houston for some reason. And Al Harrison, who was the GM of the Mets at the time, as you know, I'm, why am I telling you? You're a Mets fan. Um, he had called the station and said, I think it would be kind of cool if Susan Waldman came and did these games with... Um, with Gary Cohen, and I said, oh, sure, I'll go, and then realized that not only am I not a National League person, I, listen, I grew up in Boston, they don't even have, they didn't even have a National League scoreboard in the park, I mean, it wasn't important, because it was an American League team, um, so I knew the Mets a little bit, but I sure didn't know the Houston Astros, uh, Paul O'Neill had just come over from the National League, and he uh, sat with me one day, and went, gave me a scouting report on every single person in that Houston organization, I just, that's the Side note, kind of cool. I was just thinking about that, um, but it was it, so. It was ninety three was my first time, and then MSG and and WPIX and uh, the Baseball Network came along in ninety four and ninety five and ninety six. So this has been going back a long time. And of course, for the last many years, you've had such a, a wonderful chemistry with John Sterling. Can you talk about that yeah. a little bit? 
Yeah, well, and Orange, I never answered your question. Yes, I love it as much as I did. Listen, I saw my first baseball game when I was three, and I, I, I love sports. But I'll, I'll tell you, I think that um, it is your job when you are an announcer um, to be professional and keep that energy up because, you know, a person turning on the game, they want to hear their game. They don't care if you don't feel well, and they don't care if you're mad at somebody, and, it, it, and you're a professional and you have to do that, and that is something you learn. It's it's very easy with, with John. Um, we've been friends since he um, joined the radio uh, crew way back in 1989. I mean, we uh, we would sit together on the buses. We go to dinner. You know, we we listen to the same music. Um, we know the same kinds of things. We like the same kinds of things. So uh, the the baseball booth is very very small. And when you spend eight, nine hours a day in a tiny little booth with somebody seven days a week, eight months a year, every single year, um, you have to really like them intrinsically. I mean, you can get, it's like family to me. And John and I have a great relationship. And um, and that's very important because I do know people that have been in the booth and worked together for years that don't talk to each other. And I cannot imagine doing that. I can't imagine what that must be like. Well, it's, luckily, the, the fans are, are the real winners because they get to, to listen to you guys both. And it's such a great it's such a great broadcast to listen to. And I think uh, both Mets and Yankee fans are very fortunate on radio. Of course, you and John and, and Howie on the other side of town. Of course, we're both friends with Howie Rose. And, um, you know, I think I, you remind me a lot of Howie in that you both tell it like it is. You don't hold back. And, and, and I want to talk a little bit about the 2021 Yankees. And I, and I know that uh, you have... Uh, very strong opinions, good and bad, about the team. But the thing about you that why fans are so respect you so much is your honesty and your authenticity. So I guess I want to start this part of the conversation by saying, what do you like about this Yankees team and what are you concerned about? I'm concerned about a lot, actually, but there's a lot to like about this, this Yankee team. Where would you like me to start? Okay, let's start with the pitching. Um, we at the moment have Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, and lots of ifs, lots of ifs. Uh, Jamison Tyone, a great man, great talent. Is he going to make it through the year? I don't know. Does anybody know? Corey Kluber was as good as it got before he got injured. They say he's fine. He says he's fine. If it all works out and you've got Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyone, um, who is like many Garrett Cole. They're best friends. They've got the same kind of repertoire, except Tyone is not as far along in his development because of all the things that have happened to him. Not just injuries, but cancer and um, getting hit in the head with a line drive. He's had a lot of things that have happened to him. But if Tyone comes back, he's only 28. So if you've got Cole and Tyone, and if Corey Kluber is Corey Kluber, that's really good. That is really good. Jordan Montgomery is a nice number four, probably number three, because they'd stick the only, you know, the only lefty in there in the rotation, probably in the middle of the road. And then Severino comes back in July. Okay, is he going to be all right? I don't know. Does anybody know? Usually you come back from Tommy John the first year, it's not so hot. Um, then you got Domingo Herman coming off of, of suspension for domestic violence. Um, he hasn't pitched in a year and a half. I don't know. You're going to depend on it. I don't mean to be a downer because if it all works, it's going to be wonderful. But how do you know? There are a lot of kids that have a lot of talent. If it all works, it's going to be fabulous. If it doesn't, who knows what's going to happen? Um, the, the bullpen's flat out fabulous. 
fabulous. It's it's just flat out fabulous. All the way down. I love the signing of Darren O'Day because he gives them another different look. And O'Day, by the way, can get out lefties as opposed to what Adam Ottavino could do here and did do here. So I think the bullpen is fabulous. Um, you got the outfield. You're going to have Frazier. Uh, Hicks and Aaron Judge. Wonderful players. I haven't seen any of them make it through a whole year without getting injured. So I get, you know, I know it's honest and I might sound like a downer. I'm not. I'm not. I want to see Aaron Judge play 150 games. I want to see Aaron Hicks not blow out his elbow in, in April. And I'd like to see uh, Clint Frazier be what he started to be last year and continue that. Um, you know, you want to go a little further. The the, the shortstop is Glaber Torres. Uh, is Glaber Torres a uh, an everyday shortstop? He's going to be. It's it's kind of an interesting team, and I know that everybody is predicting them to win by a fair amount of of games, and I I agree with that. But you look at it, and you can't ignore this stuff. You can't ignore all the things, and maybe that's just really you know I've turned into a New Yorker. That's how you look at things. I mean, I say that. You can't say, well, isn't this wonderful? Except, you know, that's never happened before. And that's never happened before. Maybe it'll happen this year. I'd love to see it. You know, they're awfully good. They're awfully good. I think that health is the main thing with this group. It really is with everybody. How, how much do you think their success uh, really relies about get, around Gary Sanchez making a, a comeback and, and being the player that they thought he was going to be originally? Well, I, I, I don't know. It, it makes it a lot easier. I mean, they did it without him last year. And they've done it without him before. Um, he's too good. My, my thing with Gary Sanchez, and I don't think a lot of it is his fault, he's now had three different um, coaching um, coaches as far as catching. I think what they did to him last year was very unfortunate. Um, Gary has not learned to separate his offense from his defense. You know who could do that great? Basada. Posada could separate, you know, he didn't care if he, and you know, he was not always the easiest person to throw to, and he had a hard pitching staff too, and he would separate it. Once he got to the plate, boy, he was home free. And you put up with some maybe inequities and some things that uh, people didn't like because he hit 35 homers a year. So that's what Gary takes it very, very seriously. And last year when he, when the new catching coach came in and they started in spring training and now all of a sudden the way he's catching um, for the last uh, 25 years is no good anymore. So now what we're going to do is we're going to do this new thing and we're going to put our, our knee down. Well, he's never done it before. And what they wanted him to do was concentrate on framing pitches. They're very into, um, you know, stealing pitches. So he, that's what they concentrated on, and he worked really hard at it. Then the shutdown came down, and then they come back, and he's not used to doing this, and I think he never could, uh, he never made it muscle memory, and he tried, and he could not separate the bad defense with, with his hitting, and that's something he's going to learn to do, because that's not Gary. He, I, I give him a lot of credit. He stayed in Tampa after the season was over, worked with uh, Marcus Sims, the hitting coach, and P.J. Pilateri, the assistant hitting coach. And then he asked, "Can I? do you mind if I go to the Dominican and play? And he asked. They didn't tell him to go. He wanted to go. So he went, and he's worked. And, you know, and it, it, there's this perception that he's lazy and he doesn't try, and it's just, it's just not true. It's just not true. I think they just need to simplify it for him. But to, to get back to answering your question, um, yeah, he's, it, it, it's a whole 
when he is not hitting. And I can't imagine that he won't. He's too good a hitter for this. He's not a 120 hitter. I mean, it's ridiculous. So we'll see what happens this year. He seems like he's in a much better frame of mind. It's so great to hear you break down the team, but I have to ask you, in these crazy times that we're in, how difficult is it for you to do your job without being there? It's impossible. I mean, it's not impossible because we're doing it. It's awful. Um, I, I really hate it because the thing that's so wonderful about baseball um, is the relationships that you have with people, and they're gone. You know, you can sit in a, in a booth and, you know, you can talk about a 3-2 slider all you want and how much can you analyze it. I mean, it gets really boring. But why did he throw it and what's going on in his life and um, what can he do better? If you don't have those people, oh, we're sitting on these. You know, I don't want to complain because there's a lot of things that are going on in this world. Um, but it's really hard. John and I are not in the same place. We're going to start doing spring training games. He's going to be in Connecticut. I'm in Westchester. And we're going to be watching on a screen. And we're not even in the same state. And that's how and that's how sports have been done. If you look at sports now, um, the, the broadcasters aren't there. Very few times they're there. They're sitting in a studio, not always together. And it's very, very difficult. But I think baseball is going to be harder because it's relationships. You always remember, and you've been a sports fan your whole life. It's relationships that you have. It's, you know, your father telling you this about, um, you know, old time, the old time Mets and, and what was Gil Hodges really like. And if there aren't people in the clubhouse to tell you those stories, it's just another sport and you might as well be watching it on Stratomatic or whatever the kids watch it on now. So it's, it's very, very difficult. We're trying. I sit three hours a day on those Zooms trying to, you know, trying to say something, but they're sitting in a room by themselves looking at a screen, and I'm in another state, and everybody else is in different places, and you can ask one question, so that you can't have a conversation with somebody, because after you're done with your question and the guy answers it, it's on to the next person. And, it, you know, it's not fair to the fans, but we're really, we're really doing the best we can. You know, you try. You really, you really try, and hopefully, oh gosh, hopefully, mid-year it'll loosen up a little bit. That's what MLB seems to think. I hope so too, because it's you know just watching from afar is not you know is not broadcasting baseball. Baseball is the most personal sport there is, I think, and it's really hard without those stories and those relationships. Well, crazy times indeed, but Yankee fans are extremely fortunate that they've been able to listen to you all these years and extremely fortunate they're going to be able to listen to you. Even if you're broadcasting from Westchester, they will still be hearing. They will, we will be at the stadium. I do know. It's just free training. We'll be at April 1st. I will be in my seat at Yankee Stadium. That I do know. That is the only place you should be on April 1st. And uh, Susan, it was an absolute pleasure. Like I said earlier, you are a pioneer and and you're one of the greatest people in this game. So thank you for joining me today on BT Talks Baseball. Oh, thank you, Brett, so much for asking me anytime.